0: Welcome back everyone to at HTO football. We're back in library corner. We're talking about the biggest, the best, and the most interesting reads that you can have out there about football. Um, I am as ever with my co-host, Andrew, I'm just going to throw it to, to introduce my guests, but I, I think we have a really interesting book here this evening. Um, Andrew, do you want to do, do the honours of, of, of introducing, the, introducing the book, but also introducing not just one, but both authors that we've got in the hot seat this evening?
1: Mm, Of course. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, it's we are joined this evening by Stuart and Vincent, who are the authors of The Roaring Red Front, the world's top left wing football clubs. Um, And if you ever need just a blurb to get you into a book, this is the blurb for it. It's um, immediately um, you, you cannot wait to just open up that first page, Tom. So, yeah, looking forward to this chat.
0: Absolutely. Um. So I'll i it to, to the both of you. Uh, I don't mind who goes first. Jump in. However you do. Um. Are, are you both well, Stuart Vincent? Are you well?
2: Yes, sir. tremendously well. Thank
0: you. Yes. Glad to hear it. Glad to hear it. Um. Look, I I said I would kick off with this question because it's always a kick off question for a book. But um, look, you know, if people are picking this up for the first time or they're listening to us for the first time and maybe not heard of the book, um, the rather than giving the blurb on the back, potentially, Stuart, if yourself. In a thirty-second elevator pitch, what's it about, and where where did it come from? You know, if I can do my best silly impression, <laughs> what's it about? Where did it come from? Uh, where you know where was the inspiration for the book, and, and and how did you start to put pen to paper?
3: It came from the idea that you should always write the books that you want to read. Uh, we went to see Saint Pauli back end of December twenty seventeen. Had a great time there. Uh, then we saw Rio Volcano just over a year later. Met some Celta Vigo fans, uh, they were playing Celta Vigo, who were big mates, they're a bit of a lefty team too. Had a chat with some of them. They were off to Derry for some kind of left-wing demonstration there. Had a big uh, pan Celtic flag, because people in Galicia do regard themselves as Celts, even though they are, as the picture shows with Vince and the guys, very, very Spanish looking. So we thought there is a network here, we could do something about this which will interest people into football, into politics and how football clubs can be more than the football club and can relate to their community
0: there you go um and so that was what well i'd say five years ago we are obviously in 2023 now um but from the german of an from the germ of an idea vincent how, how did you start to sort of sew the threads together that would ultimately become the book
2: yeah, well, Stuart said, I think we've got, you know, we could do a book here. And I I, I said, well, what publisher is going to be interested in that? And uh, uh, I was wrong. There were there were several people interested in it. And uh, I mean, it, it wasn't a hard sell for us to try and uh, write because it did mean us going to watch a lot of football in Europe uh, and have a great time. And, you know, and when you go to a club and you tell them you're writing a book about them, whether it's a, a, a big club. Or a small, and especially a small club, um, you get to you get made very welcome, and um, so yeah, it was. Uh, so we started, yeah, traveling together, going to uh, football matches, talking to fans, and some in some places talking to the people who run the club. Uh, St Pauli were very open to that. Some some are not so much. Um, invariably, though, we just had a great time with the fans. And uh, and a lot of those uh, a lot of those clubs, uh, you know, we couldn't buy a drink for people buying us drinks.
1: Mm. So in terms of like your interviews and getting your research and your sources when you're going to these places, uh, Stuart, was that an organic process or did you guys go in with a plan of these are the people we want to speak to?
3: It depended. Simpily, we met a couple of people on the first trip who turned out to be extremely, I mean, they're good friends now, but also very useful. They got us a couple of really cool, interesting people to speak to. Uh, Red Star Paris, Vince got in touch with them, (laughs) they're a really nice club Uh, and we we had a chat with a couple of, um, I think it was the marketing director and Vince had a chat with the chairman too. Uh, Casenza, we just turned up all right, and we met a bunch of uh, uh, a bunch of fellow drunken fans uh, and uh, we had a great time there. (laughs) When I went to Palestino, didn't really have any plan, the club said they would talk to me, they didn't, didn't even get to see the club. but. Well, I was still able to go ahead and do something across there. I met so, the communist mayor of Recoleta in northern Santiago, who's also a Palestino fan, had an interesting chat with him. So, and then Boca just turned up and, I mean, I've been kind sort of touched on it. They're a very friendly, pleasant bunch of people in most places. When they find you come to talk to the football about the football club, which they love with a the passion, they're very um, very keen to talk to you and very passionate about the club.
1: Hmm. very uh, I mean the the photo on the back of the blurb it's uh quite a quite a, quite some image um was there anywhere Vincent where you were both kind of um tiptoeing around and didn't want to kind of uh cross anyone in the dark alleyway or <laughs>
2: Not really, no. I mean, a lot. A lot of them do have a uh, a, a bit of a reputation for yeah. for being a bit tasty, but we we didn't see any problem like that at all. Uh, far from it, really. Most most of the uh, clubs that we saw were really chilled. You know, I mean, you, that pati- that particular picture is from uh, Saint Pauli, and you can see there's a lot of uh, pyro there, and that's very popular there, and and, and very popular. A lot. Of, clubs uh, in Europe we don't really get it here i think um mm. I, I think it maybe adds something to to the uh, atmosphere um perhaps i i don't really get it myself i'm a little bit mystified why it's so popular there uh, but mm. you know it wasn't in any way threatening uh, and um in, in fact you know you, you you're standing there having a pint you know spliffs are going around the uh, around the, the terraces um and there's pyro and there's kind of choreography uh, and 90 minutes of singing. There's not wasn't an ounce of needle, although, you know, we were aware they have rivalries, particularly with their their uh, fellow Hamburg club, um, mm. SP Hamburg, uh, where, uh, yeah, we were very much separated by some very tough looking police. Mm. Um, so Yeah, I didn't really want to go and question them particularly. Um, but, yeah, I never felt threatened at any point on, on any of these trips. i got to say,
3: the most threatening people I saw anywhere, and I think you probably agree, Vince, were the Cops in Hamburg, uh, certainly in uh, Santiago, Buenos Aires. Uh, the Cops were by far the most threatening people out in the streets, except in Prague. In Prague, everybody, even the Cops, seemed remarkably chilled.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, c- clearly, you, you're you charting history and looking at the, the uh the world's most left-leaning clubs but did you find there was were they all unanimously as a fan groups or as clubs willing to embrace that status uh or, or, or were they very happy to be uh put in that political bucket and uh, or along the spectrum actually were there clubs that sort of shied away didn't necessarily want to be written in their light and actually tried to remain politically neutral even though a fan forum may suggest otherwise etc cetera, etc cetera?
2: Very much so. Yeah, that's a good question because uh, a lot of the clubs would say, "No, we're not left-wing. We're apolitical." <laughs> um, certainly, uh, Dulwich Hamlet would say that. Saint Pauli certainly wouldn't say that. Um, and often it's the fans that determine the the, the, uh, the political mm. direction of the club. Uh, clubs like Bahia in uh, Bahia in uh, Brazil, they're another one where they said, "No, we're we're apolitical because it it can cause problems there." And they're having a lot of problems there right this minute with uh, mm. with their uh, with the uh, right wing um, uh, followers. Um, so, uh, yeah, no, lots of lots of clubs say, no, we, we don't have anything to do with politics. We're just this is but that we just happen to support a lot of causes that people would recognize as being mm. uh, left leaning.
1: Mm. I mean, obviously, politics is a, is a common thread throughout um, the book, Stuart. But what really appealed to me, just as a um, as a lover of travel as well, really, that that kind of combination of football and travel. And Tom and I had a bit. Of, we've only had a real, a, a sort of not even a slice, I would say, just a bite, really, um, of uh, European football. We, we we were lucky enough to go and see a game. Um, in Germany a couple of of years ago, but it was a lot lot longer than that, actually. Um, Yeah, yeah, it was Frankfurt were playing. um, And I just wanted to get your sort of take on where your love affair with um, travelling and football sort of started, um, Stuart, really.
3: Oh, I've I've been a football fan since as long as I can remember. I think my first football, actually, I don't think I damn well know, my first football memory was Celtic winning the European Cup. In 67, and my not, bad not stopping shouting for the full 90 minutes. And it's been kind of downhill regarding football ever since, to be <laughs> honest, certainly for Celtic. Uh, and um, I was one of the first, uh, I went to a few European games, but late 70s into the 80s, there was quite a lot of aggro. It wasn't a particularly enjoyable experience, unless you enjoy the aggro, as some people do. But I went to see Uruguay, I went to visit Uruguay and Argentina and Chile in 89 and I managed to catch uh, a Uruguayan team with Francescoli and other top players in play Bolivia in the Stadio Centenario where they had the first ever World Cup uh, and that was a kind of vaguely magical experience for a football anorak like me because When they say Uruguay, other countries have their history, Uruguay has its football, you get what they mean. So that was great Um, and uh, I remember uh, having an interesting chat with some Uruguayan fans and taught them how to teach vaguely obscene English football chants which they'd heard before and they wanted to know how to sing them properly. I won't sing the songs but you can probably wonder about you're going to get your heads dealt with in a particular way. (laughs) very interesting in the Uruguayan accent. And that kind of set me off. And so this uh, writing the book was a great opportunity. Though Vince needs to stop talking about what a great time we had because this will get back to our wives. And as far as they are concerned, it was work.
2: (laughs) Yes, it was definitely work. Well, as football fans, you know what it's like going to away football. It's a real adventure. It's a very different Mm. experience to to watching your home match. Um, And yeah, in Europe, even more so, or in South America, in Stuart's case. So yeah, it just um, yeah, yeah it just elevates the whole football uh, experience to a new level.
1: We've we've often spoken on this podcast about the 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 feeling of pilgrimage almost for home fixtures and away fixtures in completely different ways, but almost the pilgrimages themselves. Um, was was there anywhere that stood out, Vincent, in terms of in that regard? Like particularly, in, I'm thinking of in Argentina. We've had a few podcasts on this. Um, on this platform about South American football and their relationship with the game? Um, was anywhere that was was quite sort of spiritual, religious?
2: Um, p- perhaps not for me. I mean, Stuart went to, to um, South America. I only got as far as Europe. But, um, but nonetheless, going somewhere like um, Red Star Paris, which was a, a fantastic trip and a very easy one to do, of course, mm. Um, the history there is uh, is is very interesting. It's founded by Jules Rimet, who's uh, you know the uh, the president of FIFA when it was a respectable organisation. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and uh, you know they have a they have a great history that PSG don't for instance we've,
1: we've actually got Infantino as our next guest Vincent so just be
2: careful <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think
3: actually when red star was a great trip Vincent uh, Vince was a much bigger fan of red star when we went there than i was but i loved it and i uh, wear my red star green and white scarf all the time now yes the red star was a, a really good trip and that chapter is one of my favorites in the book i have to say but you always tend to like the stuff you haven't written yourself anyway because you're quite critical of your own stuff uh, for me to a certain extent it was uh, going to baka i've been to baka before but way back and it was a very different experience actually getting into Bucca, is a bit of an achievement now. You have to go through various people that know people, and I think it cost me something like the equivalent of 60 pence back in 89, to see Bucker play Independiente, $135 this time. Wow. Yeah, because of a membership scheme, which is partly run by the supporters groups who are partly run by gangsters. And so you need to get in touch with people who have a good track record of delivering, but almost everything is controlled. The guys, there's obviously a big parking, serious parking aggro around the area. is a pretty small place. A huge number of people go and see a again game. You have guys running the parking who, again, will be run by the football supporters groups who are run by a bunch of quite dodgy gangsters. So it's a very different overall experience from a game in the UK. But everybody should get to see Bucca Juniors at some point.
0: Uh, if I could as well, and this is, this is an opportunity for you to sort of... Uh... Uh, basically unashamedly proud of what you've written and 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 sort of uh, shout about it from the rooftops but i, I, I guess uh, without being too evangelical if we can reflect on the importance of the book possibly in in this day and age when you're seeing lots more nationalist movements or nativist you know approaches to, to particularly to football in a way as well if you look at ownership of or, or certain clubs and just at a world cup in guitar uh, for example uh, for example but uh but i i guess um you know you said at the top of the the top of the podcast yeah, that actually you want to write about things that that interest you and you're passionate about and that you, that you love to write uh, looking at both as a finished product which has been out for what four five six months now um as a book uh, you, you know does it instill a, a great deal of pride in what you've written you know who, who would who would go and enjoy reading this book
3: oh I think a wide variety. sorry Vince you want to go ahead no go ahead go ahead. sorry mate I think a wide variety of people can enjoy reading the book one of the things that made me most pleased was a student of mine who has absolutely no interest in football but he likes to travel and um like a lot of people he's read it as a a vaguely drunken travelogue through various places that people do not normally go to and because people don't go there that the individual the locals are very very happy to chat to you and talk to you so it's a kind of unique travelogue in some ways and it was important for us to show and i think we did this reasonably successfully that football isn't just uh, some kind of uh, circus to divide the working class and distract the working class it can bring people together I didn't go to the uh, St Pauli versus Hamburg derby Vince did but you had fans there Vince from all over the place I had Marseille fans Greek fans there. so yeah football can be a force for unity and a force for good
1: what do you yeah, think of the sorry go
3: on um,
2: sorry yeah, yeah I mean we I think we are very proud of this book um and it's been great some of the reviews that we've had i had somebody on twitter the other day uh saying who who was interested in the political aspect said it, you know it, it filled in with hope to see that there were people mm-hmm. all around the world gathering together you know on the same page and you know it's it's very hard for the left wing to uh to unite i think that's that's a problem throughout the world um mm-hmm. but clearly you know we're not alone that's the, the you know the thing that that came over well, while we were writing it I yeah, just
3: certainly, wanted, certainly, sorry, go on
1: ahead, mate. Sorry, just wanted your your both of your takes really on terms of the Premier League, um, uh, you know, and and the and the clubs that obviously um, make up that. And Newcastle is obviously, you know, the the jug the, the next juggernaut that's coming. Um, there's there's talk of the Qatari investors at PSG potentially looking at an English club in the Premier League, notably Spurs, which. Fingers crossed that doesn't happen um, for Arsenal fans. But um, just in terms of that really, Stuart, what what would you say your... We're talking of hope. What would your hope be then for the Premier League, which looks like a league that is continuing to just become, obviously, even bigger and bigger and bigger until it sort of self-combusts, really?
3: I guess from many points of view, uh, self-combustion or some sort of combustion would be the only hope. It's a magnificent product. The quality of football is very good. I've been watching... Football for a long time. Uh, I'm an Arsenal fan, a bit of an increasingly less interested and committed Arsenal fan for various reasons. But I remember the first Arsenal game I went to was 1975 versus Manchester United. And I think the whole experience is so different now, so much more anodyne and antiseptic. The quality of football is better. Uh, and I think now you have Newcastle back as a decent side, even Tottenham are a decent side. Uh, you've got The top five or six are all pretty good to watch but i increasingly care about it less and less because of the money involved uh the mercenary element and that arsenal team from the 70s was together for a hell of a long time these days every couple of years the team changes someone like jesus joins you know he's going to have a good couple of years he'll be gone sometime shortly we had this one for old arsenal fans we had people like george armstrong there for years and uh, John Radford, I, I just you just don't see that kind of longevity in the players' state anymore. and my emotional commitment to the game, is minimal to me now. It's just all about the hatred. It's good to get hatred back for Newcastle again, but they <laughs> played against us a couple of days ago. So the hatred is going to plow it somewhere. Fun. Absolutely,
1: no, you're right. I think I, I do think there's that there is that battle for loss of connection that fans are having, aren't we? And 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 you're right to point out. And we we speak a bit. Tom and Tom and I talk about this a lot. Um you know we actually, funnily enough, we were talking about Harry Kane's record the other day about how you you know when when will you get. Premier League club, for example, have a, a, a goal scorer that breaks their club record now. I mean, it's just it's, 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 it's just incredibly rare, isn't it? I don't know if we'll ever see one really for a long, long time after Kane does it, you know? And, and I think that connection with the game of fans, and we're often looking at the next signing all the time, aren't we? And who can we get to replace who? But actually, it's those George Armstrongs, isn't it? And the Tony Adams of this world that actually make you connect as a fan. Instead of just the conveyor belt of transfer after transfer after transfer to fix to fix the problem all the time.
0: That, that's the next. That's the next book you've got to write. Clearly, I mean, before we do wrap up, I would like to ask you both. In terms of, uh, I, I would guess meeting you both this evening uh, and reading the book, that you're probably not going to go and write a book about the the world's best uh right-leaning uh, political uh, clubs um how however uh, i would like to uh, ask is anything else in in the pipeline is, is there a is there a dream book left as yet unwritten
2: well we, we we've been asked by a lot of people about a sequel uh to 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 this book Um, lots of people suggesting other clubs we should follow. And also because we we did a kind of first 11 in the book, as you know, which is the first 11 chapters, which is followed by The Bench, which has got another 10 clubs that we didn't go into into very much detail. Teams like Velez Mostar in Bosnia and um, Bahia, who I mentioned earlier in Brazil and Polonia Warsaw. And there's a club in Turkey. Those are all trips we could make. Someone got in touch recently to say there's a great left-wing club in Indonesia um, that we should be having a look at. So, um, wow. yeah. Uh, yeah. So that would, that would be fun uh, if it didn't bankrupt us.
0: And then travel with a travel potentially with with a chef or or then you can have a, you know, sampling the culinary delights, the local cuisine in these locations as well, and suddenly you really <laughs> do have yourself a travel guide, don't you? And uh, yeah well oh, what's better than going and sampling the food potentially the beers and then watching a bit of football across the world that would be
1: i was gonna you know, yeah, i was gonna yeah. say it sounds great if you if you guys need two two blokes to sort of travel around with you just to do a podcast every night live
0: review of the live review of the the findings
3: tell me about you guys ability to hold your beer because you may have picked up from the book that we have had the occasional glass along the way
0: I I think we would like to be tested to to, to, to that front, you know, but it will also depend on the strength of the beer. I'm sure that will be a question in hand as well in terms of, you you know, uh, different locations, different countries. You might be running a a 4.5 or a 8.9 or something if you're uh, having a nice uh, proper Belgian beer. Well, Uh, Vincent's a proper
3: beer snob, so he will know where to take you again in Belgium. You had some pretty powerful stuff in Liège, didn't you, Vincent?
2: We did have some uh, powerful stuff in Liege, yeah. Of course, Belgian beer is, is famous for its strength, but yeah, I mean, there's only one way to find out, and that's to do the research.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> that, that that is the book that we're writing next, then. Uh, the beers of the football globe. That would be a good one. Uh, Stuart yeah. Vincent, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure for you jumping on this evening. Uh, uh, look, uh, I think it's a, it's a cracking read, and and we not look not only we look forward to not only finishing it, but uh, pinging it out there for someone else for a lucky listener and uh, obviously uh, reading the sequel as well.
1: Thanks, guys. Speak
3: soon.